Welcome to the Rolling Stones podcast with the Bad Boys of British Invasion, hosted by your boy, Pete and PJ. This was with production. I'm Peter. I'm Pete. Maybe this episode. Oh, sorry. Start me up, brother. Oh, wait. What's up? I was going to say, maybe this episode is the episode we uh, do uh, (laughs) impressions of Billy Bob Thornton's character from Sling Blade the whole episode. Mm, Or this episode is just the mumble episode. Mumble episode. So we're talking about uh, Rolling Stones. Keep watching. to you, bro. to you, bro. PJ, welcome to the show. Peter, thank you. Also, thank you. welcome to the show. Oh, and thank you. Don't and now that we've got the welcomes out, of, and you know what? Welcome to the listeners. Yeah, all six of them yeah. for this episode. At this point, yeah. Yeah. Um, I can imagine if you see, if you're a Rolling Stones fan and you see, oh, they did Exile. Cool. I'm going to listen to that episode. Nobody's clicking on the Tattoo You episode. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, Tattoo You amazingly has its fans. And so I got to think, just like we've talked about a few albums in Rolling Stones history so far. That are you know every album she every album PJ is somebody's favorite. That's so there's there's somebody who listens to our show who thinks Tattoo You. Maybe they don't think it's the best, but it's closest, it's nearest and dearest to their heart. And um, this is my introduction for our guest who decided to not be on the show today. Yeah. <laughs> I really hope that that kind of person. Um, yeah. You know, doesn't listen to our podcast because they have shitty taste. And if they're listening, <laughs> I yeah. think it's questionable that they listen to our podcast. It, to be fair, at least one of us had some pretty wild ideas about what Beach Boys music was good or not good. So, like, if someone out there is listening to our show and they're like, oh, they're talking about the Rolling Stones and they love Tattoo You... I could see them thinking like, you know, Peter PJ might have a more a more uh, friendly opinion to that album than most, just because at least at least one of us could be said to enjoy bad music. <laughs> and who is that, Peter? It would be me. Okay. It's me. I just wanted. To I spent sure. a lot of time this week, uh, non-ironically, enjoying the 1985 self-titled Beach Boys album and Ugh. the 1970 album Sunflower. So, Sunflower's fine. Um, it's not like you're listening to like Light Album or MIU. Um, uh, yes, except I will say MIU has one of my favorite Beach Boys songs on it. <laughs> yeah, but then the rest of the album is garbage. Whatever, yeah, whatever that first song is is a fucking jam. Is that the She's one? She's got the rhythm or something. Yeah, it's the Ricky Fatar yeah. and Blondie Chaplin one, right? No, no, they're gone by then. Um, Are they? Okay. No, you're thinking of Carl and the Passions, oh, which yeah. I actually also listened to that song. I forget what that's called. Uh, Here She Comes, maybe? Something like that. I don't know. It's good, though. Here She Comes. Yeah, that's a great song. Um, That song is like, yeah, that's the only decent song on that album. Although, Mess Help Standalone. Pretty solid. Need myself to Basically, it just made me realize how much more I enjoyed listening to the bad Beach Boys music than the bad Rolling Stones music. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah. The song rules. The chorus is good. Something I need. It's crazy that by this point it's, in their career they still didn't know song. how to sing. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's Carl singing, right? Yeah. Is it a Carl's falsetto? It's not great, but it, it's I like got this song. It's got to be Carl's. Um, anyway, a little throwback there, as we call it in the industry. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, it did just, it made me long for the days of yore when we were listening to bad, schlocky vocal pop instead of bad, schlocky blues rock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> From the late 70s and early 80s. I think that, you know, I don't have an opinion yet on whether or not I like bad Rolling Stones or bad Beach Boys better. <laughs> oh, I, it's, yeah, it's not even close for me, but... Um, I also just, I've realized it's for the listener. We've, we've been a few weeks in between recording episodes. This is true. Um, and in the past few weeks, I have found myself not listening to the Rolling Stones at all. And in fact, feeling like I'm done. <laughs> I'm good. We did talk. I get yesterday. It. We have like seven albums left and I don't care at all, which I guess by about this time with the beach boys, I didn't care either. The 1985 album was a like vaguely pleasant surprise, although not. It's it's got like few, a few good songs, but right. I was I was kind of done with that band too a little bit by then. I was just excited to get to smile. I think the smile sessions. Yeah, that so. makes sense. Uh, we did yesterday talk about what band we want to do next, which I think is funny because we have so yeah. many albums left. Should we? Well, yeah, because that's what I'm. I'm already like, God, we should move on. Yeah. <laughs> If I wasn't, if it wouldn't nag me forever that we didn't finish the Rolling Stones discography, I would have suggested we quit. We also <laughs> didn't really finish the Beach Boys discography. We never. We left about the it. one on the table. Yeah. What was that? Sound of Summer? No, not the, Sound what, of Summer. As, that's why God radio, made the radio. God, yes, yeah. We left that one on the table. So, but that's but PJ. That's so that we can monetize a comeback episode later oh. when the beach boys comes when it when it becomes popular again in the 20 year cycle right yeah that makes once sense. it becomes a huge thing later we can do the reunion and do the long-awaited never released that's why god made the radio episode exactly and it'll just be a like a bombshell on the internet it'll just god. take over the world it'll break the internet <laughs> oh yeah like kim kardashian's ass yeah and that weird champagne glass um Speaking yeah. of monetization, um, you know how sure. we've talked about a lot about how the Rolling Stones are just at this point like a T-shirt company, and this episode will confirm parts of that. Yes, yes. Um, and this is where I think it like fully started on this album. But mm -hmm. I was talking to kids the other day. One of them was wearing a Rolling Stones. I knew the kids. I wasn't just talking to them on the street. Um, That's good. That's yeah. good clarification. Yeah, I th yeah. Um, These were kids you talked to on the street every day. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're always trying to run away from me for some reason. Um, oh, but one of them had a Rolling Stones t-shirt on and one of them had a Rolling mm -hmm. Stones sweatshirt on and it looked like the kind of huh. shirt you get from like a Rue 21 or an H&M. And sure. I was like, you guys big fans of the Rolling Stones? And they were like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I just like this shirt. I was like, wow, they don't even know it's a band. Nice. Nice. Yeah. You know, I was tempted for the first time in maybe a decade to buy like a band t-shirt you know, like a faux retro band t-shirt. Right. Um, because at this store called Zara, of which they have many 
in San Francisco. Zara, please sponsor us. Yeah. It's sort of, it's apparently Spanish. It's like basically H&M, but, you know, from a different country. Oh. So Zara, yeah, there's a lot of, like, guitarists walking around playing flamenco. It's just kind of, you know, they hand you uh, sangria and whatever that drink is when you walk in. Salsa. Coke and red wine. (laughs) Kali Mocho, that's what it's called. They hand you a trash bag of Kali Mocho whenever you walk in. And you can buy a 19, I think it was 1985 Beach Boys tour shirt. Ah. But like a, a repro, you know? But it was kind of yeah. a cool shirt because it was a white ringer tee with like blue collar and, and sleeves with the Beach Boys logo on the front. And then it just says like 1985 tour on the back, though. If it had the dates, I would have actually maybe been tempted. But But then it just feels, it's, you know, it's just, it's fake. You, you know, that's true. You could get a real one on the internet, probably. See, so then I looked on eBay, and I was surprised at how expensive they are, because I don't think of the Beach Boys as a hot as commodity. even being, like, an ironically, yeah, popular band. But, like, a Beach Boys 1992, like, tour shirt is, like, minimum 50 bucks on eBay. Wow. Yeah, and up to, well up to, like, 150 for, like, a more rare one or something interesting that is fascinating um Mm -hmm. you know what i think that store should have been called what hache (laughs) eme yeah you're right bit of a spanish joke that i've been waiting to make for about three minutes (laughs) that's very funny uh the rolling stones also came up in daily conversation i mean not really but for me in the last couple weeks because because you're a nerd. I was at work, which, yeah, I work in Golden Gate Park, and there's this guy who you really gonna you're really around. gonna dox yourself like that. Yeah, come find me. <laughs> come find me at work. Um, there's this guy who rides his bicycle around, and he has like a giant, like a single speaker from a PA system, like on his bike rack, strapped on with bungee ah, cords. One of those guys, and rides around blasting music. Um, and. There's also, right across from my work, this tunnel where uh, either a jazz band plays quite often or an opera singer sings. Like, there's like a violin player and like an opera singer that go out there and play and sing. Hmm. So the opera singer was there the other day, and it's very nice and peaceful to listen to while you're at work, you know. And then this dude rolls up with his giant speaker. <laughs> it's just <laughs> blasting music and drowned it out with a twofer. Can't you hear me knocking and monkey man? Oh, which, you know, honestly, like pretty dope to just be like yeah. blasting in the park, especially can't you hear me knocking? Cause I, I feel like I always forget until I hear it, but the jam, it's like the song. solo on that song is so fucking good. That's a good song. Just so overall. Yeah. It's a good one. So let me exit out of this page of how to pronounce Spanish letters and (laughs) Yeah. So PJ today. Peter. Well, I mentioned it earlier, but we'll go ahead and fully put this person on blast. Our guest ghosted us today. This is true. We were texting it's a guest who's been on previously, uh, Paul, 
I'll and ble- I'm going to bleep that out too because now I'm yeah, upset with him. As eagle-eared listeners will remember, Paul was on the Altamont free concert episode. This is and true. He mentioned that his favorite Rolling Stones album was Tattoo You. So could we please, please, please have him back on the Tattoo You episode? And we graciously allowed him to be our guest on this episode. We even delayed recording for a week for him to be on here. And then Paul, if that's even his real name, I don't decided that his dog, if he even has one, decided to get sick, whatever that means, today. So he had to go take care of this so-called pet and couldn't be on the show. So, I mean, is it rude? Absolutely. Yes. Especially because it's all made up. And I'm basically assuming I'll never see this person again and that he just lied his way into our lives in order to guest on two Beach Boys episodes and one Rolling Stones episode and then just take the fucking money and run. Yeah, he really pulled it in, in Ocean's Eleven on our ass. Yeah, he did. We're... Oh, God damn it! He's the Danny Ocean. Yep. And we're the... Whatever that guy's name is. God damn it. I keep trying... Andy keep Garcia. Benicio. Yeah, Benicio yeah. Del Toro, but it's Andy Garcia. Thank yeah. you. We are combined Andy Garcia, and he is Danny Ocean. The dog, it seems like, is when Julia Roberts' character pretended to be Julia Roberts. Roberts. Yeah, Yeah, that's definitely how that happened. And And then I assume there's got to be a Matt Damon in there somewhere, but I just don't know who. uh, Paul's roommate. Who is Linus? Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that's really how we got our asses got. We got got bad. (laughs) Yeah, we got got good. So now our new beef is with Paul for ghosting us on this episode. And I know I'm not using ghosting correctly because he's been in constant contact, which is what makes it all that much more suspicious, honestly. That's, I mean, that's absolutely right? true. Uh, you know, it's, that's how the ocean man got, got the casino was like he pretended he wasn't robbing them while he was robbing exactly. them. So Paul's pretending his dog is sick. Oshman got Bellagio goods. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You remember in that movie when they like do the thing with like the little like scented tree and it's like, oh man, it was like a real it was it wasn't like a real SWAT team the whole time. Remember that? Yep. That was cool. <laughs> I watched the the new one, Ocean's Eight or whatever, a few months ago. Yeah, um, for the first time, I didn't see it in the theater, but um, and it felt very ridiculous. And like, like I got done with it and was like, well, that was kind of over the. And like, how the hell they just made it like, you know, they pulled off like three heists at once, and it was all the thing where when they get done, they're like, wait, and we got these jewels. Let us show you how. Yeah. And it's all very ridiculous and over the top. And then, yeah, I thought about Ocean's Eleven. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's basically the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, not any more ridiculous at all. We, uh, during the pandemic, like the first week of it, we were really bored. And we watched every single Ocean's movie. So we watched the one from the 60s mm, with Frank Sinatra. This is good. Okay. All, all three of the, the uh, George Clooney Did vehicles. Did you say Greg Sinatra? I said Frank Sinatra. Oh, Frank's little brother, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> little Greggy Sinatra. It's like when Tom Hanks' brother does the voices exactly. for like the the Toy Story video games or whatever. He would step in anytime Greg there was Sinatra a movie. Greg Sinatra sometimes just steps in for Frank. Yeah. <laughs> they don't look anything alike, but no, you know, no. they try. Well, they get the prosthetic nose on him. It works pretty well. 
He kind of looks a little more like Richard Nixon than anything. Yeah, it works. <laughs> um, but we watched '60s, the three okay. uh, George Clooney ones, and then the new one. And, Ocean's Eight. Uh, yeah. Have you ever seen the Frank Sinatra one? No, I've it's heard dumb. that it is I love garbage. It. No, it's okay. the best. Really? Okay. Um, I'm gonna spoil some stuff for some listeners. Oh, out please! There. And I want your ranking. They do not end up stealing anything <laughs> in the original they That's try funny. and then it gets um it like they part of it is they have to put it in a coffin to get it through like the things and then they cremate the guy instead of burying him <laughs> <laughs> that's actually pretty funny it's That's pretty awesome. good it's a pretty good ending yeah um but then also part of the plot is that they know exactly how long it takes to sing old lang syne because <laughs> they have to pull I mean, off the heist in the 40 like yeah. one minute and three seconds that it takes to sing old lang syne which is amazing not to poke holes in a plot but doesn't it depend on how fast you sing it sure it certainly does <laughs> yeah okay it's just uh, gonna and it's it's like four there, different like, groups you can, of you people can stretch that either way you want yeah if you need it longer or shorter it's pretty easy to make a song yeah last uh, but interesting well what do you think of all the oceans movies which one's the best which one's the worst i mean it i think it's easy to know which one's the worst which one do you think is the worst uh the one where the main plot point is someone using a date rape drug on somebody i would say that one's definitely the worst one. Oh, the frank sinatra one right 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 <laughs> yeah oh no they were just all on <laughs> every member of the crew every woman on set it was an unfortunate time period it's, it's a real Cosby situation. Ooh, Freeman Cosby. Um, you know, if I had to rank them, I would put it 12, 11, Frank Sinatra, 8, 13. That is very interesting. I, I also kind of think 12 is better than like. If you get that whole Julia for. Robert Bruce Willis thing out of there. That thing's pretty stupid, but 12, like the actual kind of heist in 12 is probably, it's the most straightforward one, which is cool. Yeah. Like it's the least kind of, like we were talking about with 8 and 11, where it's just like very over the top and like, I don't, you know, just them at the end being like, but here's how we actually did it. Yeah. 12 is like the a more straightforward heist, but I've never seen the original one, as we mentioned, but. Um. Yeah, it's pretty uh it's weird to me that they were like let's reboot this weird ass Frank Sinatra movie and do n- they only keep one of the characters names as far as I remember. And yeah. it's Danny Ocean. Yeah. Um they do keep the same amount of people in it and I wish okay. I wish to god that instead of Don Cheadle being in those movies they just had Sammy Davis Jr as an old man do it. <laughs> yeah. He might have been dead by That'd then. Be pretty good. Who knows? I don't. No. Don Cheadle, I mean, not to cast this, but a terrible actor. Just famously one of the worst actors ever to work in Hollywood. So Yeah. Hotel Rwanda? Nice someone, that movie wasn't someone even that funny at all. someone actually talented yeah. to do that in a role. Yeah. <laughs> oh, That's he true. was... Almost nothing in common with the Oceans movies. Yeah. Um, no, he was super dead by the time they made those. But it'd be great if they, you know... Had. Our heist is to get these people out of the Hotel Rwanda. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's terrible because that's a really sad movie. But 
Oh, well. Well, I've um, never seen it. I just remember the name of it. Oh, uh, I saw it when I was a kid. It's good. It's just like a very intense drama about, you know, there's like a civil war in Rwanda and he has a hotel where he's like hiding refugees or something and is trying to sneak them out of the country, I think. Uh, if I remember correctly. Something along those lines. Right, right, right. Um, But yeah, I'd say like 11 and 8 are probably the best ones just because they have like they're the most fun ones to watch maybe and then 12 and then 13 yeah. is god awful 13 is bad because it feels like there should be a twist and then there's not a twist i really like everything yeah. up until the heist in that movie yeah that's yeah. kind of that's kind of a good point but then yeah once they get there it just gets ridiculous and then again the whole like I- literally using a date rape drug on the on Cameron Diaz. Is it Cameron Diaz? It's not. It's some old bitch. Who knows? It's the other lady who looks like Cameron Diaz. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. Pardon us while we look up Ocean's. Ellen Ocean. Barkin, who looks like Cameron Diaz. Who the fuck is me. Helen Barkin? Is that Al- Ellen Barkin? Alan Arkin? Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah. I don't think Alan Arkin played that part, pal. Mm hmm, mm hmm. Now I've already forgotten the actress. Yeah, you honestly, said. they look very similar. Yeah, Ellen Barkin is Barkin. the mother in everyone's favorite TV show, uh, Wild Dogs. What is that show called? I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, dog. God damn it! Commercials are on for it constantly on TNT. I do not think this woman looks like Cameron Diaz. I think she does. She's blonde. She has a very, very big mouth, and I feel like their faces kind of look similar to me personally i would wholeheartedly disagree however you also think animal her- kingdom i don't know what that is everyone's favorite tv show animal kingdom about surfers who are also criminals and it's also a family it's fun what the fuck is this show still on animal kingdom oh yeah dude tnt thinks that it is sons of anarchy level popular like they just Whoa. keep renewing it i mean it must have enough viewers for them to think it's worth it but do you think we should uh pivot this podcast and talk about this show because i do kingdom yeah Yeah. honestly i kind of every time i see a commercial for it it it's like 90 percent it looks awful and then 10 percent of me is like but it might be really fun like it could be awesome it could be because it's hard to tell the commercials make it seem like it takes itself super seriously but if it doesn't or if it's like so serious that it's just ridiculous and over the top then it might be fun um just kind of a fun a fun show to watch so who knows maybe it's great well we're gonna have the andable but they give ellen barkin a date rape drug and it's it shouldn't have been okay in like 2010 or whenever that movie came out and it's definitely not cool now (laughs) watching that movie yeah it's uh really bizarre very very weird um yeah, but everything uh, leading up to like that heist, I guess yeah. you could call it, is pretty good. Like, I love yeah. uh, Casey Affleck going to Mexico with uh, James Caan's son. Yeah, that part's pretty fun. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But then, and then that one also has the Julia Roberts, Bruce Willis thing, though. Yeah. No, it doesn't. It's... Different movie. Is that twelve? Twelve has the it, mm. when they're in Europe. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Oh well. Okay. PJ, you want to talk about tattoo you? <laughs> yeah, we probably should yeah so 
The Rolling Stones. So we were talking about them being, you know, kind of like Ocean's 13. They're just trying to cash in at this point in their career. True, true. Um, which basically for the Stones means that they just want to keep touring forever. And um, not make good music or albums. No. Like, quite literally, the only reason Tattoo You came out is because they had a tour scheduled and didn't want and wanted an album to tour behind. Huh. And so, yeah, so they recorded it, which is a very backwards way. Like, they're not that late in their career, I feel like. No. For that I, to start being the case. That feels like a late 80s kind of thing to do more than I mean, yeah, anything. That, I did not know that. And you know what? This album makes a lot more sense now. It's also a weird shift from, like, that definitely feels like a mid-60s studio thing to do. Yeah. Of, like, hey, guys you're on tour next year so we need a new album to put out and like they don't you know like the capital rolling stones albums they don't give a shit whether it's like a out a full album or not just give us whatever 10 songs you have done and we'll put it out yeah Uh, just just to have an album out and so it's very funny that they want to 12 years later now they're doing that themselves instead of having like an overbearing record company right for them um it is and it's weird because Looking at their discography, they then release a shitload of albums after this. Yeah. Like, you could still, like, tour from that album for a few years. Yeah. And then, it's also just odd. But they did one the next like, year. Like, And they did yeah. Emotional Rescue the year before this. Right. They did it the year before this. And, like, the Rolling Stones are at a point, And, like, music, I feel like, is at a point. It doesn't quite feel like people would just refuse to go see them without yeah oh they don't I have mean, any new stuff yeah they've like got a touring, huge back catalog too yeah touring now has gotten to a point where like a legacy band like that can for sure tour without a new album because you it's don't want to like, hear their new stuff you either don't care about hearing their new stuff or it's like they're popular enough that you know, not everyone who wants to see them would like necessarily be able to on one tour. So if they come right. to your town the next year, you'll see them. A exactly. Time. Or you yeah. just see them twice because you're a big fan. So it kind of seems like the stone should be at that point, especially because yeah. they have such a big back catalog. Like they could do an almost completely different show. Right. Every night. Just focusing on like, we're going to play a bunch of stuff from let it bleed this tour or whatever. Like, but they're obviously don't give that many shits. So they just, I think they're at a point. I haven't checked set lists, but I would assume they're at a point where they're still playing the same 20 songs every single tour and then with four off the new album. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so they, yeah, so they wanted a new album to tour behind, but they didn't want to actually record new music because they were lazy, lazy and busy. <laughs> so, uh, tattoo busy to record an album, I guess. <laughs> what they should have called it (laughs) that was actually a very good joke uh so they were on tour and then also keith and mick were definite or were not getting along at all at the moment which kept them from wanting to be in the studio together at least why aren't they getting along new music so this is a continuation of we talked about a little bit on emotional rescue a continuation of their kind of rift when keith is trying to get back involved in the band and Mick has spent the last like five years or so just being fully in control and is not wanting to give up control. 
and like you know be equal partners with anybody else basically in terms of songwriting or the artistic direction of the band so right he's kind of shutting keith out and keith's taking it very personally i think fairly yeah (laughs) um so they are not i think uh, they basically only have a professional relationship at this point okay it it seems like and i think eventually they will basically not even have that but we'll we'll get there i believe there's a point where they're where they stop touring but maybe i'm wrong together because they're so far apart but so yeah for any other band except the rolling stones this just means they would not release an album for a year or yeah they would yeah tour behind tour and like bill it as like you know whatever we're gonna play songs we don't usually on tour or something um but for the rolling stones this means that their production team of which they apparently have one <laughs> Uh, would come up with an album for them by digging through their unreleased tracks from the 70s and put together a fully new album that they could release. If you can call it an album. Yeah. So in a later interview, Keith summed it up pretty succinctly, just saying they had a tour booked already for 1982 and 83 uh, and wanted an album to tour behind. So here's Tattoo You. What an artistic statement (laughs) from the Stones. (laughs) man they are just not fun people no <laughs> like... <laughs> and like it is a it is they're a different band than they were when they recorded like exile you know like where they were like Fully s- different super yeah. interested in the music they didn't really give a shit about touring they were like let's make a fucking killer album and like we'll produce it ourselves yeah. and then now they're just like i don't know um we don't really have time for that, so yeah. You, I imagine three teenage boys can just go through our unreleased, yeah. you know, tapes. I mean, they are just so cynical at this yeah. point in terms of like it is. It is all just about the money. It feels like, and I mean, I guess good for them because they can make the money, but to be so like. I mean, and like, they're not even pretending is the thing. Like in in an interview from only a few years later, Keith is just like, yeah, we needed an album. So, and we didn't want to record one. So we just made one up out of our old songs. It's like, okay. I mean, like bands do that. It's very common for old unreleased tracks to show up on albums, but just to be so blatant about the fact that you were too busy and lazy to actually try and put one together is something else. So. A guy named Chris Kimsey off their production team uh, is mostly credited for putting together Tattoo You. Uh, So once he heard that they wanted an album, you know, and knew that Mick and Keith weren't getting along so they weren't going to be showing up to record, uh, he volunteered to look through all the old tapes from starting in 1971 through 1980, um, which is about when he came on board, it sounds like, working with the band, uh, to come up with an album. So it took him three months to come up with the materials uh, to present to the band. And he ended up finding stuff starting from Goat's Head Soup. So a couple songs are off Goat's Head Soup. A couple songs are from the Black and Blue sessions. Uh, There's three songs from the Some Girls sessions and three songs from Emotional Rescue Hmm. sessions. So surprisingly, a lot of more recent stuff. Um, Yeah, I would have guessed Yeah, as listeners remember, we've 
mentioned yeah starting from goat's head soup like every album somewhere in the notes about it it's like and more songs will show up on tattoo you eventually right um and who is bob clear mountain (laughs) you got me uh just on spotify first is this a jeopardy (laughs) answer uh it says the rolling stones comma bob clear mountain for like six or seven of the songs oh interesting all right well we're on wikipedia i didn't notice that on my spotify uh he's a producer he produced the rolling stones tattoo you all of brian adams albums why is he credited on the track that's bizarre maybe because they barely recorded it so they were like (laughs) we gotta give him credit i guess yeah i don't know that's very interesting now i want to look at my spotify and just see what i forgot or why how i didn't notice it oh yeah that's very weird huh strange i did not notice that but it's definitely there so a lot of the uh tracks that kimsey ended up finding were very unfinished they were i mean they were truly like demos uh they weren't even really uh like b-sides even um, they were a lot of instrumentals or just like tape of them noodling around in the studio with, you know, that was like enough of an idea of a song that they set it aside to work on later maybe, but, uh, hardly any of them had lyrics or even a melody worked out for it. Right. So most of the work on the album was just Mick showing up to the studio to do the vocal takes. Hmm. Um, uh, and then not a lot, like they did some instrumental overdubs, um, and they got Sonny Rollins plays saxophone. They hired him to play saxophone on a couple songs in a couple of key parts. Um, but, I mean, it was a lot of band members just coming in individually to be told to like, okay, we need a new bass line for this section on this song or whatever. Right. So, yeah, that's that. Um, despite being that kind of, I don't know, cobbled together album uh it did really really well and was well received when it came out uh it's i mean definitely we've talked about before this being like up there as one of the stones albums you can't uh not find at a record store right and it definitely it sold like gangbusters obviously it didn't quite hold up in terms of people keeping it in their collections but it definitely did well at the time um it was originally titled just tattoo for some reason unclear where that name came from came from at all um but it was titled tattoo and they got a guy named peter coriston to design the album and then a guy named christian piper did the illustration on the front and those two i mean i guess along with the rolling stones but they won the best album packaging at the 1982 grammys that that's a category at the grammys did yeah, you know that before real. you I mostly know it because Pink Floyd's like 70s albums won like every single like every single one of their 70s albums won cuz they had all the hypnosis covers. Right. Huh. Um Interesting. So, I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun fact. Um which yeah, that was surprising to me mostly because Tattoo You I don't think is that great of an album cover. <laughs> so I'm no. like what the hell else was up against it? You want to hear what else was up against it? Uh, I absolutely do. 
uh, four albums that are very 1982. And I mean, two of the artists I've never even heard of. And then two of the other ones are people where you're like, oh, that makes sense. They were up in 1982. So uh, an album called Social Studies by Carla Bley. Oh, I love we'll, Carla you know, Bley. Pause to let everyone Google these. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> like it's nothing special. It's a row of like old books on a shelf is the album cover. Wow. It's more interesting than Tattoo You. She but was it's in still her... not that great of an album cover. She's 85 years old right now. Wow. I mean, right. so is Mick probably, right? <laughs> That's a fair point. Uh, let's see. The other the next one is Working Class Dog by Rick Springfield, which <laughs> that is makes also sense. an incredibly 1982. Uh, which is also again like a fine album cover, but not that great. <laughs> no, it's I like a dog this album cover in a shirt and tie, which is kind of funny. But no, I love that. I mean, album yeah, cover. but like best packaging, I don't know. Whatever. It's um, better than Tattoo You. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the next one is Positive Touch by The Undertones, who I've never heard of, and I do not understand the album cover is just a bunch of symbols which like probably means something but i have no idea oh what. it's not a very good album cover like maybe it's cool whatever the explanation for it is but i'm not gonna look that up and then the last one is eagles live by the eagles wow uh which is again like i guess vaguely cool but not that cool it's like a trunk like a you know roadie trunk with eagles live on the front so and like some faux stickers i mean yeah it's not a i mean i guess if the vinyl opened at the top that's what i was thinking that would be pretty cool but if not then i truly don't care no and (laughs) it's not cool at all you know like did you ever see oh go ahead tattoo is better than the eagles live one unless the eagles live one opens at the top but rick springfield should have taken it yeah yeah it feels more like like i think it was one of their like first grammys too like they hardly won any grammys through the 60s and 70s so i almost wonder if it was a bit of a legacy give that could be them yeah um so yeah did you ever see i don't remember the band i just saw this album a handful of times in record stores back in my crate digging days but there was an album by somebody that was it was supposed to be a matchbook on the outside and it opened like a match like a you know little paper matchbook and it was really fucking cool what what do you think the best packaging of any vinyl record has been best packaging of any vinyl record yeah aside from the fact that it falls apart really easily i really like the box of all things must pass that's exactly what i was gonna um, say because he did the same box after for... that he did the same box for, the... for that and concert for bangladesh yes. yeah. yeah like i like that idea um aside from that i don't know if a lot stands out in my head i guess i mean just basically any gatefold where there's a lot of photos is like pretty great yeah but or any album from the day not a re-release but any album from the day where the vinyl sleeves are like separate pictures or something you know instead of just being like plain white paper that's always very cool to me um 
when like just the entire album is themed basically in through the Honestly, outdoor wings um wings over america or wings across america whatever the wings yeah. live album is is very cool um yeah because it is a triple and that one album. comes with a poster which is also yeah always it's good. got a great poster and then it's a triple album where each of the vinyl sleeves is like black and then the first yeah. one has like a glint of light and then the second one the light is like bigger where you can see it's like a door opening yeah. and then the third one it's you see it's a plain door that's like fully open so it's like each sleeve the like door is opening it's pretty cool i really like in through the outdoor as well yes i think um, we talked about that one on the show uh, it's, and it's great it's a great idea it's a very cool idea um yeah and the fact that there were four different ones you know yeah okay so the rolling stones were first nominated for album of the year for some girls they weren't even nominated before then wow and let's see if they what their first win was would have been this one their first win yeah was for rock performance by a duo or group tattoo you so best mm. rock album i think is what that which is award insane. is that's really weirdly phrased on the grammys website yeah and then in 1983 they won the best video album for let's spend the night together what and then they got a lifetime achievement award for harlem shuffle wait no 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 never mind <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make any sense in 1986 they just got a lifetime achievement award and then they were also nominated for harlem shuffle but they did not win and then in 1994 they won best album for voodoo or best rock album for voodoo lounge what the fuck voodoo lounge won a grammy and then in 2017 they won best traditional blues album for blue and lonesome so they have barely won anything really throughout their that kind of like they literally they only won they only got the album packaging award, the lifetime achievement award, best rock album for Voodoo Lounge, and best blues album for Blue and Lonesome. That's it. Huh. I wonder. I if... mean, not that the Grammys are important at all, but they kind of got reamed by the Grammys. <laughs> yeah. Like you would think, best rock album, they'd at least be nominated most a of few the times, seventies yeah. and eighties. Like at least be in the nominations every year. They have an album out. It seems like. Yeah. Just from being one of the most popular bands, but. I wonder if whatever bands like ACDC <laughs> ever won any like Grammys. Cause that feels like a band music. that would win best new artist. If that was a thing in like the seventies, they would win best new artist, And then that's it. Although yeah. when they were first out, they were a little more, they were not as popular. Like they weren't huge until they're like the comeback 80s. with what's his name. Yeah. The better so. guy who sounds exactly the same as yeah. the first guy. Because I feel like they were kind of a, a not bon underground, Scott. but definitely more or less popular with their original singer. Yeah. So anyway, um, so it was originally just titled Tattoo when it came out. It said Tattoo You. Uh, Mick claims to have no idea how that happened, and Keith uh, feels very personally hurt that uh, Mick changed the album title without consulting <laughs> him. <laughs> So once again, this feels a little bit like a Mick Taylor situation where they're all like, yeah, we have no idea what's wrong. And then Mick Taylor's like, I know exactly what's wrong. Yeah. You so. guys are assholes. So yeah. yeah, who knows? That's funny. Um, Let's see. Uh, yeah. So like I said, well-reviewed at the time, people called it a return to form, more stripped down, less self-conscious, uh, which is all 
like maybe technically true i personally i mean we'll talk about it but i personally don't think it <laughs> means it resulted in better music but nope 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 i guess nope, all nope. that's true um we have once again some great writing from whoever wrote the wikipedia page start me up pj was widely considered one of the stones most infectious songs which is <laughs> nice and the album was a high quality release <laughs> oh yeah uh wow. we do have the return of some old stones acolytes via them appearing on the demo tracks so credited people nikki hopkins billy preston uh wayne perkins who is one of the guys who tried out on black and blue right um and then jimmy miller is credited i think probably with drums um i don't think i have specifically which songs they were on but um yeah so they're all credited and then oh mick taylor little mick shows up one more time uh so technically so he was on waiting on a friend the final track technically his guitar part was scrubbed out during the editing and replaced with like keith and ronnie wood uh but then after this album came out he fought for credit on the song and they gave it to him anyway which they just need to pick a lane in terms of how they right. get credit and stick to it guys like the fact that he would get credit for not even technically appearing on a song after he left the band but they wouldn't give him credit for full-on co-writing for writing songs, songs when he was a member yeah. of the band jesus christ wild. so yeah so it's the least we could do let's tattoo you yeah um so you want to get into the track by track peter i would love to get into the track by track released august 1981 i believe uh actually i should double check this but i believe it continues their run of number one albums which we talked about i think last episode yeah i think so insane streak um yeah, it goes to number one in the U.S. album charts, only number two in the U.K. album charts. And then let me double check where uh, Start Me Up goes to in terms of the single charts. Had you heard any of these songs besides Start Me Up before? No. Um, yeah, I didn't think so. No, a couple of them sounded vaguely familiar, but I literally think it's just that they're like Rolling Stone songs that sound like a lot of other Rolling Stone songs. Yeah, yeah. Um. Start Me Up went to number two in the U.S. and number seven in the U.K. So, huh. all right, pretty well, big hit still. I mean, obviously, but yeah. First track, Start Me Up. Uh, so this song was out of the Some Girls sessions. It was, this version ended up being based on the two more rock versions of the song. Uh, apparently there were more than 50 reggae versions of this song recorded. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, they're such Which is just incredible. Yeah. It was originally just called, um, Never Stop instead of Start Me Up but they switched that up. Uh, The vocals and the drums were recorded using the bathroom reverb technique by recording in the studio's bathroom. Um, This song is 
a little bit like it's only rock and roll. I've heard it a gajillion times, but I feel like I've never actually listened to this song. Yeah. It is very solid. It's a good song. Like it's not a bad song at all. Yeah. I would I would say it's a great song. It's much less 80s than I remember it being. Like, even though they do the bathroom reverb thing, in my head, I imagined it sounding just, like, over-the-top 80s production. But it doesn't at all. And, like, the guitar being, like, the kind of clean guitar is, like, a little more stripped down than it could be. Um, Like, again, in my head, I've kind of made this song into, like, a weird arena rock song. Mm-hmm. Which I think it is, like when they perform it live now. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, like this version is it. It honestly kind of just sounds like a pop '60s hit more than a lot of other things with the hand claps and like it's pretty got a pretty catchy chorus. Right. Uh, and yeah, no, the hand claps are great. The chorus is good. A great opener to an album. Yeah. It, it, I imagine it could trick a lot of people into thinking this album's a good album. Right. Yeah. Honestly, like it. If only just they didn't do the reverby thing, which yeah. again, it's not nearly as strong as other 80s kind of production, but yeah, yeah. if they just didn't do that, this song would be like, I think very, just excellent to me. Oh, absolutely. Like, that's maybe my only qualm with it is that it's got a little bit of the weird production going on, but. For sure. All right, next song, Hang Fire, which is weird because the only thing I hang is Dong, so. Um, this is apparently a political song about the economy in England. Oh, yeah, I know. The Stones just hitting, hitting those politicians where it hurts, man. Yeah. With their words. I like the do-to-do's in the background. Uh, actually, this song's pretty good. Like it's it's catchy. I like I like how upbeat it is. The doo doos are fun. Like I do not this is not a bad song for sure. I don't I don't think it's a bad song either. It's also not a great song. Yeah. Pretty good guitar. Pretty good guitar. Um I imagine that's Ronnie. <laughs> Pretty good. Um I can double check on that. <laughs> it's weird because even in 1981 uh Mick Jagger sounds like he sounds now like an old old man yeah like he's <laughs> lost it by this point yeah yeah hard to know whether he's lost it or just isn't trying that hard but either way yeah I kind of agree it's uh yeah no word on who's playing lead, at least according to the uh, Wikipedia entry. Those doo doo doos in the back are good. You're totally yeah. right about that. Like it's a solid song. A uh, hang fire was from the Some Girls sessions originally, and then they also worked on it more during Emotional Rescue, but still didn't put it on an album until Tattoo You. Okay. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> so interesting. Alright, so Slave is the next song. So this is from Black and Blue. And somehow is better than anything they ever released on Black and Blue, so 
I don't know how that happened. (laughs) The working title of this song, PJ? You want to guess? Black Slave. Vagina. Oh, okay. Pretty good. I just assumed it was going to be kind of racist. It's not even creative like Black Pussy, just straight up Vagina. Uh, also, Pete Townsend is credited with singing backing vocals. I think from the 1981 sessions, not from the Black and Blue sessions. Interesting. So, I can't really make out his voice. I was curious if you could. It seems like it should be obvious because he has a distinct voice. Let's turn it up here for a second. Well, I turned it up at a really bad time because there's no singing. No. I mean, I guess he's just in that gang of falsetto vocals. I guess I'm not sure I'd recognize Pete Townsend's falsetto. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't. Like if he's just screaming in the back. I mean, this song is not good, but I no. gotta say, once it gets to the jam, it gets pretty solid. Like, it is it is not a bad jam song. It's not, but there's so much in front of it, you know? Yeah. It, and it's also like a six and a half minute song. Right. Yeah, once you get past, I don't love the, I think this is the Sonny Rollins, one of the Sonny Rollins tracks. I don't love the saxophone solo, but the rest of it is... They should have gotten Bobby Keys, man. That guy rules. Yeah. Yeah, it's not that good of a sex solo, especially from Sonny Rollins. He was probably phoning it in. Yeah. Um... Just Man. wait for the next solo. Just that's all I ask. But oh, yeah, wait. it's it's oh, not wait. like fantastic at all. I don't even know why I'd be called vagina. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's truly stupid. Very stupid. They're not smart men, though, I don't think. No, no, and it definitely seems like their sense of humor to be like, we don't have a name for this demo, just call it Vagina for fun. Yeah, that sounds about right. And then, seriously, guys, seriously, for the album, though, it should probably just be Slave, right? Just, but seriously now. Vagina's funny, but Slave is like... That's serious. We're taking ourselves seriously if we call it Slave. There's a good, the keyboard solo's Dece, I feel like. Ah, uh, this is a Billy Preston. Yeah, it sounded like solo. Billy Preston. Yeah. It's crazy that he also played the saxophone. All right, well, that's it. We get it. All right. Uh, how about a little TNA, Pete? 
God. <sighs> this is why I get sick of this band. <laughs> yeah. From going from vagina slash slave to little TNA. To little TNA. Oh my God. Is this? It's just such a like lecherous dad idea of what's sexy. <laughs> it's so awful. Just like a lame dad from the suburbs in like the mid '80s being like, "Oh yeah, little TNA." Oh, Hell that's yeah. naughty. Like lusting yeah. after like the you know 18 year old neighbor. It's yeah. just so not cool. Uh, all that being said, this song is annoyingly catchy. <laughs> really? It's also. Is I think it's, I think the melody's catchy, and yeah, I gotta say it's I think by far the best Keith vocal we've heard. It's all in his range, and his voice never sounds like it's straining to me. He doesn't have a bad voice. Um, like I'm that part I do like the that. my little rock and roll. Wow. Like it's pretty good. I think I maybe and the guitar is not bad too. I maybe didn't give this much of a chance because of the name, right? Oh, and the lyrics are very dumb. Um, this is one I think similar to the one on Emotional Rescue that was the Keith song. I forget what it was called, but um, this is one where it's mostly just Keith and Ronald Donald Wood. Uh, yeah. Keith is playing the bass, and I think Ronnie is playing most of the guitar. Right. Yeah, kind of same as Emotional Rescue. Um, I just really don't like the guitar tones they're using on this album in general, so that yeah. makes it rough. It's super early 80s. Uh, like, the production is fine. It's not, again, it's not, like, super echoey or, like, over the top in the rest of the production, but the guitar tone is just very bad to my yeah. ears. So. Right, and, I mean, it, there is something to be said of all four songs we've heard so far. They could have been really good. Um, like they have potential if they had like sat down in the studio and actually like did them instead of taking right. like old stuff. Yes, and then just showing up one or two at a time to yeah. overdub. Yeah. Right. I think it could have been pretty good, but I don't know. It is a weird production thing. Like the production all throughout this album bugs the shit out of me, so Yeah. I wonder I'm realizing I wonder who's credited for the album production. Yeah, the Glimmer Twins. Yeah. I was wondering if it was gonna be either the Chris Kimsey guy or the Bob Clear Mountain guy, but no. Alright, Black Limousine. Uh, this is one of apparently very few tracks after Ronald Donald joins the band that he is credited with Jagger and Richards for writing. Huh. Okay. So. Uh, there is nothing interesting happening in this song. Not at all. Opinion. <laughs> okay. No, and they've done this exact same song like 12 times, so. Hey, as many bars are in the song. It's true. <laughs> nice. Thank you. All right, Neighbors. <laughs> This song sucks. This song does suck. Apparently, it was mostly a Mick composition. Yeah. Who wrote it for Keith, who had been having trouble throughout the mid to late 70s with getting kicked out of apartments because he would play his music too loud. 
<laughs> what is he, Which 17? is also just weird, because it's like, buy a house, Keith. Like, I mean, I get that they're, like, hopping around the world, so maybe he's just, like, renting a place in Berlin or whatever when they record for three months. But it's also, like, why don't you, like, you're an insanely rich musician. Like, you can rent more than just an apartment. It's very odd to me that they're just, like, getting apartments in buildings where... Yeah. He's just getting kicked out of places with Didn't regularity. He have a castle? Yeah, well he has multiple estates. I mean, one where that kid got shot that we talked about last right. week. And then one in England. But I'm more saying like if they're like in Jamaica recording for six months, rent like he's probably house. just Yeah, but it's like just rent a whole place. Or, right. you know, it's weird that they're not just in like a compound. I mean that's for what the they did for exile. Yeah. Well, exactly. I, d- I think they bought that house, but then I think he did. Yeah. Just do that everywhere you go. You're so, Keith Richards. Like you yeah. have the money. So that's what Mick wrote it about, and Keith had kind of a sweet quote from like years later, where he's like, "I think that's the only song Mick ever wrote for me." <laughs> I was like, "Okay." Wow. Okay. Interesting. And in the middle of them fighting, which is interesting too. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this song's not good. It sucks. It's a bad song. There's nothing interesting happening in it. This sounds no, like the song see. that we listened to that you wrote with Dave Grohl, where it's just like him being yeah. like, neighbor, and we're like, I don't know. Oh, so just to follow up, so Black Limousine came from the Some Girls sessions. This came from the Emotional Rescue sessions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is really stupid. All right. Worried about you. Let's just, come on, let's keep going. <laughs> Side B. Uh, so this is Worried About You. This is from Black and Blue, and this is uh, Wayne Perkins' guitar work on here. I could have guessed which, se- which session this was from if you hadn't told me. It's so interesting. Like, we already talked about them scrubbing the Mick Taylor guitar work and re-recording it. It is so lazy to my mind that they just wouldn't that they wouldn't do the same thing with the Wayne Perkins one. Especially because it's like it comes from a fucking session where they were auditioning guitarists. They right. did not pick him. And then the fact that they would use his instrumental part like seven years later for a different album and not re-record it with their two guitar players they do employ is so fucking weird. It is weird. It's just so lazy to me where it's like they must have yeah. loved this guitar solo. I don't know. Or like the guitar on the song. That being said, I like the, like, I don't know if I like this song, but I just like the beat. I don't know what's going on. It's not bad, but I don't know that there's much to hook me on here. I'm just going to skip to, like, the middle. Yeah, just see if anything happens. Oh, yeah. This is a good, this is decent. Pretty good. I can see why Ron and Keith would have just been so intimidated by the idea of recording anything this good. Yeah. Um, I do hate the... It seems like he recorded it with normal effects, and then they probably uh, added effects yeah. to it, because it sounds really shitty in that respect, but it's a pretty good solo. Yeah. All right. Tops. Uh, this is from the Goat's Head Soup Sessions. One of the oldest songs on this album. 
I literally don't even remember this song. I like that drum though. <laughs> Did they write this for Barry White or something? You gotta think. I kind of love this. No, this is a good song. It's yeah, it's not terrible. The production's not great. Um, kind of, I mean, just like a lot of the songs from the last like four or five albums. It's like it's not bad, but there's just nothing about it that makes me want to like dig deeper at all. Yeah. Like they're I mean, just very good at this point of making like inoffensively yeah. fine music. Yeah, very neutral albums. Yeah, it, and it makes it weird to like review because you're like, I didn't actually hate any of this, but I also never no. want to listen to any of them again. <laughs> uh, none of this album is egregious except for the song "Neighbors," which I think is an actively yeah, terrible. Yeah, "Neighbors" is pretty bad. But every other song is black fine. limousines, kind of bad too. But. Yeah. Um, now we're gonna go to the song "Heaven." Heaven. Heaven is a place on earth. Oh, wait. Different song, probably. Oh, this is from Emotional Rescue Sessions. Yep. Also could have guessed that at this point. Yeah, it's very... Interesting, is what I, I'll say. I take back what I said, because this song is also bad. Um, it's not great. I just... Tattoo You, we are solidly... I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but on the Beach Boys Boys, there were several albums starting after Love You through the end. There were several albums where I didn't get much more than like one and a half listens through before being like, I'm I'm dead. I'm done. Yeah. I can do a show about this and I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and we are solidly in that era with the Rolling Stones. I listened to the last few, like probably a little bit more than that, but right. we're getting definitely getting into an era where more than like two listens is just tough. I think that I skip this song every time at yeah. about this point. When you realize it's not changing. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you're like, is there going to be a different chord line? Nope. Okay. We're nope. Done. It's just this the whole time. They could And this was one of the ones they were like, yeah, we'll pick that one from all of the, like, they could have just made it a 10 song album, you know, and not put this yeah. on. Um, no use in crying about it, though, Pete. Yeah, especially this is a pr pretty long album. It's 44 minutes long. Yeah. So it's like they could have lost at least two or three songs, really. Like they could have right. made this a nine track album easily or an eight track with how long the jam is on Slave. Yeah. This is another song that um, could have been good with way different production. Yeah. We realized way too late. I should have just had you guess with every song what session it was from to see... If you were uh, close. Do you want to guess for this one? I would love to. Um, I mean, oh, wait. Yeah, I do feel like this is this a one's bad hard. one to start guessing on. Yeah. Because um, initially I was like, oh, that, uh, that's that got to be um, um, Emotional Rescue. And yeah. then I was like, well, maybe it's earlier than that, but I'm still going to guess Emotional yeah. Rescue. It's Emotional Rescue, but yeah. I do agree parts of it sound like it could be from, like, 1974. Yeah. Right. 
Um, like the drums mostly, I'm like, that's not very emotional rescue but yeah. everything else about it. So, there you go. All right. It's no use in crying. It's almost as good as Daddy, Why Are You Crying, Daddy? <laughs> My favorite Rolling Stone song recorded so far. You do love that one. Um, yeah. Daddy, why do you cry, Daddy? All right. Waiting on a friend. Uh, so this is the Goat's Head Soup, uh, the one where they... You know, scrubbed out mix, little yeah. mix guitar. The piano is great. Yeah, it's much better than like the last six songs already. Yeah. <laughs> this is a rough B side, I gotta say. Oh yeah, well they did the thing where it's like all upbeat, all ballads, and that's that's always tough for albums yeah. for me at least. And it's especially tough when all of the ballads are bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, I mean, what, on Beach Boys today, that's what they did. Yeah. Uh, where it's all ballads. And it took me a long time to, like, figure out that I really liked some of the ballads on the back, just because it's so many, it's, you know, four or yeah. five slow songs in a row is really hard to get into. But this is, this song's honestly pretty solid. It's not bad. Um, and it like, makes sense I think, it's from Goat's Head Soup. Like, yeah, it, but I think if this was on Goat's Head with the like little mint guitar throughout, yeah. I would probably have liked it quite a bit. Yeah. It's sad that they like, like it's a pretty catchy tune. It. I like it's got kind of the like Latin like lounge rhythm happening. I like it. I wonder if if there's an original version out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I would almost think not, just because they, like, scrubbed it in 1982, so, like, there might not, those original tapes might not still exist, but it's possible. that didn't have anything extra on it yeah dumb unfortunate well that's tattoo you do we want to go ahead and give paul's thoughts since he decided not to fucking show up yeah um so paul has said um he famously uh had the album behind him when we recorded this and we were on a zoom together yes. everybody Everyone, knows you that. can't forget that episode yes no so, absolutely not definitely um, the most memorable thing from our ultimate episode exactly uh and he had it behind him and we were like you like that album he was like yeah i like it a lot i got it at the record store and then he was like is it the only one he owns or just the first one he bought 
both. Um, oh, okay. And it, he was like, I listened back through it, and it is not a very good album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That's fair. It's it's not. It's a, a no. very neutral album, like we said. Um, like, there's nothing that, like, sticks out no. about it, but it's not horrible. I feel like the striking part for me is that it's the first time I mean it's the first time uh in the Rolling Stones discography maybe they'll do it again I don't know but where they're doing all like old tracks um yeah you know and it does not even though it seems like they did a pretty minimal amount of work in the studio aside from writing lyrics mm-hmm. it does not feel like they did old songs it does which, seem like a cohesive album which is good in that way but then it's bad in the way where since they're all so just like meh yeah it just is like it it's sad that it feels like the rolling stones at this point in their career would have just written all these songs and put it out as an album in 1981 and it right. wouldn't have right 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 no one would have noticed yeah because it yeah. feels very similar to Emotional Rescue to me, just in terms of, like, it doesn't feel like they're advancing artistically. It, yeah. They're all, like, fine but not great songs, you know? And they have, like, yeah. the one really good one, and that's kind of it um, while yeah. we're here. So, I mean, it's not as bad as it feels like it could be, being made up of all their B-sides, but it's right. definitely, like, there were no hidden gems, especially given that Start Me Up was originally like a fucking reggae song from some girls that yeah. they like really reworked. I would like to hear this album produced the same way it was but better. So not like the 80s production, but yeah. produced like they were all recorded for the same album. Like I'd like to get a remaster of it where it's not so like yeah. schlocky, I guess. It'd be interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we definitely were listening to whatever the most recent remaster is through Spotify. But right. you mean remaster as in, in terms of like taking some of the production choices away or exactly okay. or like changing some of the tone yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah, it would be interesting. Especially I think it'd be, like yeah. yeah, it'd go up like at least two points great. in my book. Yeah. So what from like one to three? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. What do you want to rate it? Why don't you go first, Pete? I am going to give Tattoo You a two out of ten. <laughs> yeah it's just like literally start me up is the only reason to ever put this album on and it's the first track so you're like you listen to that and then you're done i'm gonna say three because yeah like we said some of it had some nice it had nice moments yeah. but it's like an album i'm never gonna listen to all the way through again no the full album is not even close to worth owning especially even for that grammy winning album art right yeah <laughs> Even that's not. That's that why great. Paul owns it. He's yeah. like, this looks interesting. Paul's record collection is every album that's won the Grammy Award for Best Packaging. It, it's a beautiful collection. Sounds like it shit. It would be interesting. It would be an interesting collection. Yeah. So, there you go. That's been Tattoo, aka Tattoo You. Tattoo You. Yeah, it was, you know, the most interesting thing about this album historically, I gotta say, Start Me Up became a huge hit, but really it's that people don't remember the fad in like 1981, 1982 among like junior high, high school kids where, because they weren't really allowed to curse, they would run around being like, to you, 
asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just kind of a short-lived, just like funny thing in culture. Uh, you know, you can probably find like YouTube clips of like local news shows being like, right. my kids won't stop saying to two you and get to two, you know, things like that. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it's fine. You know, the Rolling Stones still, you know, just a vice grip on the culture at this point. <laughs> they just really know how to, you know, influence modern America or the modern world. So. They've never not influenced the modern world. Yes, the Rolling Stones always at the very forefront of whatever trend is happening. Yeah. It's definitely their thing. They're, you know, they, I mean, with their t-shirt business, they yeah. encapsulate a lot of young children. That's true. Much like Jeffrey Rolling Epstein. Stones target market, young children. How many they... the older they get, the younger the kids. <laughs> older they get the kids stay the same age um mm, that's true you know there's people being born every day pj that's true and how many rolling stones onesies have you seen in the world a lot uh six today yeah, yeah. well you yeah. bought a I've six pack yeah. yeah yeah i've been shopping for my yeah for my niece i was like i better get her on the stones train early you know yeah. she's definitely gonna she's 19 years woman, old but a young woman in 2021 just really needs to learn to appreciate the rolling stones it's really important I, you know, they're a cultural landmark. I guess. All right, Pete. <laughs> All right, PJ. All right, Pete. Thanks for doing the show, PJ. Thank you for week doing in, the show. Week in, week out, Pete. plugging away at the Rolling Stones discography. It's hard work, and we volunteered to do it. So. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way, Pete. Yeah, that's right. All right, I will see you on the other side of that wave, my friend. Beach Boys Boys Production.